You are listening to Graceway's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message. We have been in a series called Hearing God, and I told you that the genesis for that series was just my belief that my primary job is to just introduce you to Jesus and teach you how to walk with God. It's the primary thing that when I stand before God, I want to be able to say there's a lot underneath that, but it's the primary thing. And so we developed this series, Hearing God, week one, we talked about turning down other voices, week two, we talked about turning up the voice of God. Week three, I thought Amy Patrick was an absolute master class on how to hear from God in suffering. She has a hard-earned PhD in the topic, and I thought she came and with a lot of class and a lot of humility, um, really gave you everything that you need to be able to hear from God in difficult seasons, and I'm grateful to her for it. Um, we're on this prayer season. 21 days is over. It's day 22. And I want to give you a takeaway coming out of that prayer season. And I want to teach you how to have devotions. So I want to teach you to do. I want to teach you how to spend time with God. And I want to teach you a way that I, I doubt anybody in the room does. And so I'm going to push you a little bit today. Um, I think teaching at its best is a quarter turn past the norm, past what we expect. And so I want you to just engage with it, and I believe that God's going to show up in it. So two weeks ago, I talked to you about turning up the voice of God, and I said the foundation of hearing from God is this book, okay, the Bible. But if you don't have a relationship with this book, you're going to at best intermittently hear from God and often think that you're hearing from God, but not actually. The surest way to regularly be hearing from God is to both own, be reading in, investing in, loving, spending time with God through this book. It is the cornerstone. It is the pillar. Without a relationship to this book, you will have lots of voices in your life, but you will not know what God's voice sounds like. And when you do not know what God's voice sounds like, you fall for people who are saying that God says things that he would never say. And so I want you to know this book and have this book. But this book teaches us five different ways to interact with it. It says, number one, you should hear God's word. You're doing that right now. I'm going to read God's word to you today. I'm going to try to explain it to you, add some commentary to it. It's an aspect of a relationship to this book. You need to be at church to hear it preached. Secondly, you need to be reading this book. You need to be reading this book, I think, daily or as daily as possible. I, if I could, would get everybody in this room on the one-year Bible, reading through the Bible every day, every year, the whole thing. I think that you need to read it in its totality, and most of us have not. If stats are correct, about 80% of Christians have never read the entire Bible. I would love to flip that and say 80%, 90%, 100% of grace wearers have read through the entire Bible, have read through the entire canon. It's a way that we get to know it. Thirdly is studying. Studying is different than reading. Studying is to deep dive in a little bit further, to pull it apart, to consider it, to meditate it, to put that magnifying glass on certain words and certain premises and certain beliefs. Fourth is memorizing. 
to hide God's word in your heart so that you don't sin against God, to have God's word at the ready, not on your phone, but in your heart and in your mind so that it's quick to your lips when the enemy is quick to your mind. And then fifthly is this phrase that God talks about a lot, but we don't actually know how to do it, and if we're honest, it freaks us out a little bit. It's, it's meditating. It's meditating. And I want to teach you how to meditate on Scripture vividly today. We're actually going to practice it. For between 8 and 10 minutes, I'm going to stop talking during this sermon, and you're going to be writing. That's the reason that I need you to have that piece of paper. So let's talk about meditation for a minute. Biblical meditation is different than meditation in an Eastern sense. And this is something that's interesting that I have seen, that a lot of times whenever Christians see somebody doing something that they call the same thing a different way that feels wrong to them, they stop doing the thing that God told them to do. Meditation is bad. No, it's not. It's in the Bible. Well, they do it wrong. Fine. They do it wrong. You do it right. This happened to us during COVID as well, by the way. There were certain words that all of a sudden we weren't allowed to say except they were God's words. And people would come to me and say, you can't say that. They're saying that. And people think that you're with them if you're saying that. And I said, no, I'm saying, I'm saying it because it's his word and I'm, because I'm with him. And because we don't give up words and we don't give up practices and we don't give up philosophies just because they're counterfeited. They're counterfeited for a reason. The enemy wants you to be confused about these things. And so there's Eastern meditation and there's biblical meditation. They're not the same thing. In Eastern meditation, the attempt is to empty your mind. You go through this process and somebody with a very sultry and calming voice says, let that mind come in, that thought come into your mind and acknowledge it, but then let it go. And let it go without guilt or condemnation. And yes, that's incense burning in the background. Okay? That's meditation. And, and, and to be entirely frank with you, there are probably times that you do need to empty your mind. Uh, but that's not biblical meditation. Medi biblical meditation is the opposite. It's not to empty your mind. It's to, it's to fill your mind. Biblical meditation is that I fill my mind. Biblical meditation is about input, filling the mind, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to turn it over in my mind and in my heart over an extended period of time. The early rabbis said that the Bible was like a jewel, that it, if you turned it, it showed a different light on the wall. But most of us read our Bible one-dimensionally. That's the reason that you find it so dry, because you just read it like words on a page. You're just reading to be done. You're just reading to have your quiet time, and you're just reading, and it goes in one ear and out the other, and yeah, that's cool, that happened, I guess, but whatever. But the enemy knows that if your Bible stays one-dimensional, that you're not going to love it, you're not going to seek to drink deeply from it, you're going to fall prey to counterfeits and think that God doesn't want you to do it, when God rather says, I want you to fill your mind, fill your heart, fill your life through hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating this book. I want you to give the Holy Spirit everything that he needs to turn it over in your mind and heart in a multidimensional way so that you understand and apply it deeply and multidimensionally. So meditating, and I've heard a lot of preachers talk about meditating, um, isn't memorizing. Memorizing is memorizing. A lot of times 
preachers, I want you to meditate on God's word. Just take a verse and just say it to yourself over and over and over again. And it's a good thing to do, but it's called memorizing God's word. To say it again and again and again and then recite it to yourself. And I want you to do it. It's an aspect of it, but it's not biblical meditation. And so what is, what is biblical meditation and how do we do it? Now, in order to understand that, we have to talk about uh, a word that is really connected ideologically to meditation. It's, it's this word imagination, your imagination. So what is the imagination and how does it apply to God's word and how does it apply to prayer? So the imagination is not simply the province of artists and hippies and kids and Star Wars lovers and gamers, Okay. The imagination is simply the ability of the mind to think in pictures. And everybody in this room has an imagination. Let me, let me prove it to you. Um, on the count of three, I want you to say the best ice cream in Kansas City. Are you ready? One, two, Betty Ray's. That's it. No question. Whatever you are about to say is incorrect, and I rebuke it and call you to repentance, all right? <laughs> Betty Ray's is the best ice cream in Kansas City. There is no argument whatsoever. In the first service, I had somebody say, Andy's. <laughs> Listen, any ice cream that you go through a drive through to get <laughs> is not the best ice cream, okay? Any ice cream that somebody did this and watch goop come out of a machine, not the best ice cream. So I want you to imagine that it's one of those days in Kansas City where it's 95 degrees and it's 260% humidity. We don't know how it happens, it just does. And you haven't mowed your lawn, and so your wife says, baby, you really need to mow the lawn. You say, it's 96 degrees and 280% humidity, and she says, I know, but the neighbors and the HOA, and so you go out there, and you're working in the yard, and you're doing your thing, and you're getting sunburned, and you're sweating in places you didn't know exist. <laughs> and you come in, and the AC is cranked. She's like, this isn't working. I need, I need, I need something cold inside as, as much as outside. We should go to Betty Ray's. Not Andy's, not Andy's. Not Culver's, not Dairy Queen. None of the other counterfeits from the pit of hell, all right? We need to go to Betty Ray's. He said, babe, you're a genius. Let's go to Betty Ray's. And we go to the River Market Betty Ray's, and we don't know why they have an old bus in the parking lot, but they do. And you go in, and it looks a little bit like a hippie setup, but... That air condition hits you. You see all that ice cream and they let you try whatever you want. You can basically get an ice cream cone and not pay for it. Oh, could I sample that and 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 that? And they always say yes. It's a beautiful thing. It's a godly thing is what it is. They don't do that at Andy's. All right? You don't get to say, can I try the soft serve? You don't get to do that. Betty Ray's, you get to try whatever you want. And your boy looks at you and he says, Dad, I'm so hot. Would it be okay if I got a banana split hot fudge sundae? And you say, Jesus loves you and so do I. And the answer is yes. And your wife looks at you and goes, and you go, yeah. Are you with me? And you watch as your boy with his face pressed up against that glass begins to point the ice cream dispenser, professional, barista, I don't know, 
to put three enormous scoops of ice cream with a banana and nuts and three different types of syrup. And they say to him, buddy, do you want whipped cream? And he says, have you lost your mind? Of course I do. <laughs> and so they pour the whipped cream on and they give him cherries. And you say to your boy, buddy, go sit down. You pay for the hot fudge banana split. You give him an enormous spoon. You set it down in front of him and his face looks like... <laughs> Did you see it? Yeah, because you have an imagination. Everybody in here has an imagination. You could see me going to Betty Ray's while you were in your hot car at Andy's. <laughs> Disobeying God. Everybody in here has an imagination. Your imagination is an important part of the human mind. Now, what's interesting is that science doesn't really know where the imagination comes from. We don't really have a neural basis for it. We just know that it exists. Whenever you read about the imagination, you'll read things like, the imagination happens mainly in the part of the brain, and it says mainly because we don't know specifically where. Or things like, it is believed that, we know that it exists, but we don't know why it exists, and we don't really know how it exists, unless you're a Bible believer, and then you know that it exists because God put it in there to exist. Imagination is a facet of the mind along with reason, emotion, and the will. So in perception, we take information from the outside world, such as light and sound waves, and we find meaning in it using memory. You're doing it right now. Your perception of this room, your perception of me, your perception of what you're hearing, the imagination works in reverse. Your memory doesn't get created, your memory creates and employs the imagination so that you can recall the events of the past. The way you remember the past is that you imagine them. You remember what it was like when you had your first ice cream cone. You remember what it was like when you had heard that first song. You remember what it was like to have your first kiss. You remember your first dance. You remember your first ball game. You remember your first day at school. You remember your first fight with your spouse. How? Imagination in the past. Imagination also allows us to contemplate our lives in the present. If you go home today and you think, how's my life going? You're going to think through some things that are pretty good, and then you're going to say, but there's other things that I don't really like, and then you're going to imagine alternatives to your life, and you're going to use things that you've perceived in other people's life or things that you've experienced in your past, and you're going to imagine it comparatively with what you have put into your brain. Imagination is also an important and powerful tool to visualize the future because when you imagine the future, you do so without or sometimes with the entire elimination of the perception of obstacle. If, if some of you, you have a dream, right? I, I want to build a house by a lake. You want to build a house by a lake? Yeah, man, it would be awesome. I mean, can you, can, you, um, can you imagine, babe, sitting on the porch right beside the lake, and the kids are down the lake, and we're drinking lemonade or whatever y'all drink, and we're eating Betty Ray's ice cream, right? <laughs> I can't let it go. I can't, all right? And when you imagine that in the future, you can see yourself sitting there. You can see the house, all that kind of thing. Your brain doesn't say, dude, you can't even pay your mortgage now. You see, God 
gives you imagination so that you'll think about the future. And when you take your imagination and your excitement, you get passion. And passion brings focus, and focus brings progress. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. There's a reason that Einstein said the imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited, whereas imagination embraces the entire world, stimulating progress. You can know, and you know what is, but to imagine is to think about what could be. Scientists actually believe that there's eight different ways that we imagine. Everything from strategic imagination to dreaming when you're asleep to empathy. What is empathy? It's the ability of your mind to imagine yourself in somebody else's shoes. It's an important and powerful thing. And the reason that we have it is because the imagination is a facet of being created in the image of God. The only thing walking the earth that has an imagination is you. No tulips look at roses and say, I wonder what it would be like to be a rose. We got like these long stems and they got all those leaves and thorns. It would be cool to have. They don't do that, right? Deers don't look and say, I wonder what it would be like to be a grizzly bear. I wouldn't have to run around all the time being afraid that I was going to get eaten. I could be eaten, well, me, right? No, they don't do that. You're the only thing created that God gave an imagination to. Why? Because you're the only thing that he put his image on. In Genesis 1 and verse 26, let us make man in our image. It was his creative imagination that created the universe from nothing. Just think of God's creativity in this room. Just look around. Look at the diversity. And I don't just mean skin color. I mean, I mean everyone has different earlobes. Everyone has different hair. We all have a different forehead. We have different eyebrows. We have different wrinkles on our forehead. We have different shapes of eyes, different colors of eyes. We have different size of nose, shape of nose, girth of nose. Come on, somebody. You know who I'm talking about, right? We have different cheekbones. We have different levels of fat in our cheeks. We have different lips, different shape of lips, different teeth, different chins, different hair, different mustache or beard. I'm not even to your neck yet. We serve a creative God. And out of God's creative imagination, not only do you exist, but everything exists. It's his mind that perceives the past, the present, and the future. The reason you can do it is he can do it. And it is his word in its concreteness and in its figurative and descriptive language it, that addresses the reader's imagination. You read through the Bible, and you can imagine things in the Bible. Why? Because it shows that God himself has an imagination. And the Christian church has a rich, imaginative legacy. For hundreds of years, the church talked about the imagination. Even though it's neglected and almost never talked about in contemporary Christianity, theologians in the past talked about it all the time. The Reformers, the Puritans talked about it again and again and again. Meditation on the Bible is practice and was common practice. It wasn't odd to do it. This practice that I'm going to teach you today is rooted in Scripture and is rooted in our faithful church history. The church did it for hundreds of years, and it wasn't until modernity that we stopped. In modernity, we began to get into this arms race with science in the 
objective facts of our faith. We began to go to war with something that God created. We began to say, you're not right, we're right. And we began to argue about things that, listen, God doesn't even argue about. Can I tell you something? God doesn't argue about creation. Why do we? In the beginning, God created. That's it. That's all you get. Well, I want to argue about it. No. (laughs) And for about a 40-year period, we committed ourselves to this idea of apologetics, the defense of our faith. And I understand why we did, but I actually think it was a ploy of the enemy because it took us into an arms race that we never should have been in, and it stripped our faith of mysticism and mystery of a God who is bigger than you can conceive. Some of you are walking around and you think God's supposed to fit inside of your understanding, that God's supposed to be able to live in the space between this ear and this ear. And let me tell you something, if God lives in that space, it ain't the God of the Bible. If you understand God, it's not this God. If you understand your God, it's a God created in your own image and you should stop following him today and start following Jesus. And so for a little while, the church, we moved away from the contemplative, we moved away from the mysterious, we moved away from the mystical, and when we did, what happened? Did we win that academic intellectual war? No, we didn't. We lost all of our artists and our dreamers and our entrepreneurs because we said, you don't dream, there's nothing mystical, you just need to know the facts. And the artist said, but... There's beauty, and there's depth, and there's... We said, no, 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 no. We're trying to beat them. And so they went out in the world, and we lost the depth and the beauty and the things that come with the mystery. We also lost our ideology around work. You know, industrialization happened in this country, and work stopped being something that was craftsmanship and artisan and unique and powerful and beautiful and personal and it just became just punch your card into there stay for this amount of time and if you do something wrong I'll fire you and replace you because you're not really that valuable and some of you still view that work that way this is silly this is irrelevant I don't know why I'm doing it other than that I have bills and I want to have money for the weekend and it's not purposeful because you don't have any imagination around it you can't imagine your work being bigger than you. You can't imagine your work as being something that God cares about. You can't imagine your work as bringing a kingdom. You can't imagine your work as being redemptive. No, you're just a part of the puzzle, a part of the spoke, a part of the rat race, and nobody cares, not you and not God, but that's not what the Bible says. I would love to see a return of imagination to the church. To say things like, What if God could? Hmm. I wonder what would happen if I... I I would love to see a return to where all the good music came from the church. (laughs) There's a lot of terrible music. Terrible music. And we pass it off because they talk about Jesus. And all I'm trying to say is if it talks about Jesus, it better be good. There's a lot of terrible movies. It's a Christian movie. No, it isn't. It's a bad movie. I'm dead serious. Nothing that bad should have Jesus' name on it. Listen, what, what if we got back to a spot where God was bigger than we could conceive and we were enjoying the, 
journey into the mystery and the depth and the wisdom and the size and the majesty of our God. And out of it came the best music, out of it came the best art, out of it came the best architecture. We ain't meeting in a box called a warehouse, man. We want to meet in this beautiful space because we serve a beautiful God and because, of course, we're going to build the very best for our very best God. These things have been stripped out of our understanding. I would love for it to be that people said, if you're ever going to make it in the music business, you got to go to the church. (laughs) I would love if the entrepreneurs weren't just chasing bucks, they were chasing redemption in Kansas City. I I would love if we just were starting, what, what kind of business could I start that let people know that God loved them and that restoration and redemption was a thing and a place where people could connect. What, what, like, what kind of place? What, what, if, what, what if the point wasn't just where we played basketball? Maybe it was a place that artists could come and create beautiful art and create beautiful music. And, and, and what if we weren't just sending missionaries, but what if we were sending, sending entrepreneurs and sending artists all over the country? They weren't preaching. They were just doing things that God put in them to do. It'd be a beautiful thing. I'm just say, just saying, it could happen. So here, that's right, that's right. So here's the exercise. I want you to pull out your piece of paper. We're going to practice imagining. We're going to practice imagining. This is me teaching you how to do devotions. This is something that I've been doing. It's been a game changer. I told you a couple of weeks ago I was going to teach you how to journal differently. So let's talk about the things that are necessary for this. Number one, you need time. Okay, we say we're having quiet time, and it's normally not that quiet and not that much time. And so we just need to separate those two and say, I'm going to do this amount of time. I'm going to do 20 minutes. 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever it is, and in that time, I need it to be quiet. What part of your day are you going to be able to have that kind of time and that kind of quiet? In that time and with that quiet, you need a paper and pen, not a, not a tablet, not a phone, not a, t- no, 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 writing. Pen to paper, pencil to paper. You need an open Bible and you need to begin with prayer and the prayer sounds like this. God, thank you for this day. God, thank you that you see me. God, thank you that you speak. Thank you that you love me. Thank you for Jesus. I'm here to be with you. I ask that your Holy Spirit would give me eyes to see and ears to hear. Whatever you say to me is yes. I love you. Amen. And I want you to imagine opening your Bibles to Matthew 7 and verse 7. Here's the text. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find... Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? And if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus compares, uses the metaphor of prayer with a door. Right? You're standing at a door. You have a request, you're standing at a door, knocking on the door, asking for something, seeking something. So here's the assignment, and we're going to do it all together, and we're going to do it right now. I want you to close your eyes, get comfortable, and I want you to imagine yourself 
about to go through a door, and on the other side is God. As you stand at the door, preparing to enter the room, I want you to answer these questions. They're going to be on the wall behind me. You're preparing to enter a room that God is in. How are you feeling? God knows that you are coming. How is he feeling? Do you see a door or doors? If so, describe them. When you go through the door, what does the room look like? Where is God in the room? What is he doing? And if you can see him, what does he look like to you? How does the room feel now that you're in it with him? Where are you in the room when you get settled? Who talks first? And what do they say? Okay, I want you to open your eyes. I'm going to give you a handful of minutes to start this exercise. Please listen to me. If you finish it, you did it wrong. I'm giving it to you to start so that you can finish it as a takeaway out of 21 days of prayer. But the questions are up behind me. We're going to leave it quiet, and I just want you to begin to write your answers to these questions in the next few minutes. Let's do it. All right, I'm going to have you pause. Here's what I need you to do. This week, I need you to finish it. And here's why. You've heard me say it, but Amy said it last week. What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. You say, I don't know what I think about God. Yeah, you do. You just wrote it. What you feel when you're about to walk into a room with God gives you an indication of what you think about God. And what he feels about you when you're about to walk into a room gives you an indication of what you think he feels about you. It's all in there. It's all in your subconscious, but we're going too fast. We don't slow down. We don't pull these things out of our imagination, use our imagination to pull the reality out in a way. I want to close. I want to give you an example. Um, this is a journey that you can take, and, and, and I want to encourage you to, to start in the Gospels. Start in the stories about Jesus and write them. Imagine them and write yourself into them. I took a text into 21 Days of Prayer this year. Um, I had been working on it for about a week and a half, and I worked on it through about half of 21 Days of Prayer. And it's a text that I have read hundreds of times, and it's a text that I've preached dozens of times. It's the story of Jesus and Peter walking on water. It's in Matthew chapter 14. But I had never done this with it. And so I sat down with the text and I wrote out the text. Again, I didn't type the text. I didn't text the text. I wrote every single word out. And then I just began to, underneath that, write myself into the story like I was one of the disciples one that nobody knew about, one that nobody really cared about, just the nameless guy with no hair by the name of Tim. And I started this story where the story actually begins, in the story before Jesus walked on water, when Jesus fed the 5,000. And I wrote about people coming to Jesus and me telling them, Jesus, they're hungry. Jesus, they need something to eat. And him finding this basket with just a couple fish and a couple pieces of bread and him saying, this will work. And he's saying, what do you mean this will work? There's like 5,000 people here. And I'm saying, this will work. 
just start handing it out. And I looked into my basket, and I only had one piece of bread and a half of a, of a piece of a fish, but every time I reached in, it was still there. Person after person, grateful after grateful, full belly after full belly. And my jaw dropped open, and I looked back at Jesus to see if he was surprised, and he looked of complete calm, like just something normal and natural was happening. Like nothing had occurred. I didn't look back and see him going, <laughs> And I wrote in my journal, who is this God that the miraculous is so natural and so easy? I wrote about us feeding 5,000 people, and every time I passed one of the other disciples, us laughing and being like, can you believe what's happening right now? Every person being grateful and a couple of people asking for seconds and me thinking that, that was a bit presumptuous, but there's still being enough food. And there coming this point when everybody was full and everyone was happy and everyone had heard from Jesus and everyone had gone to church. And Jesus said, all right, it's time to go. And he began to send people away and nobody was upset because they got what they came for and he called us all together and he said, all right, we're going to take a walk, guys. And we walked down to the lake and he said, I want you to hop in that boat. I'm going to take a walk and just think about some things. I'll meet you on the other side of the lake. We all shuffled into the boat. A couple of us had been fishermen and were used to being in boats. I hadn't. And so I kind of wedged myself in between John and Peter. And we were just talking about what had happened handing out that food, seeing the calm on Jesus' face, listening to him preach and do these things with such authority. Who is this that exerts this authority with such ease and such grace and such calm? Who is this guy? He's from nowhere. But he does these things and he says these words, and even though I've heard them so many times, I hear them different when they come from Jesus. We started to go out into the lake, and we were just having a good time, and we were laughing and telling our favorite story about Jesus, and really without noticing, and before we could do anything about it, a storm was on top of us. And I don't just mean a storm, I mean, I mean a storm. I mean a storm that made us think the boat was going to come apart and we were going to come apart with it. I'm talking guys who had spent their life on the water calling their wives and saying goodbye, that kind of storm. I'm talking about them doing all the religious things, trying to get themselves in a spot where they were ready to see God because they thought they were going to be at the bottom of the lake. Being completely terrified. And I wrote, as afraid as I was, I had this thought in my mind. Jesus did this to us. He sent us into this storm. Why would Jesus send us into a storm? A storm that we thought was going to kill us. Why would Jesus want us to be afraid? Why would Jesus want us to feel helpless? Why would he feed all those people and send them home with full bellies and send us into a storm? We're his disciples. He's supposed to care about us. This is where prayer comes in. You know, we've had some storms over the last couple of years. And as I was writing, I prayed to God. I resent these storms. I don't mind the storms I create. Do you? 
and I, sometimes I do things, I say things, I, I'm like, yeah, I deserve that. I should have seen it come, and I didn't. I couldn't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I deserve it. But in COVID, we didn't see it coming. We weren't ready. We buried a lot of people. In COVID, my friend killed himself. His wife was here last week. In COVID, my wife was in a car wreck that took a young man's life. In COVID, I lost relationships over a one-term president and a mask. This church was hurt in COVID. And the church was hurt in COVID. And I love this church. And I love the church. And I resent God that you put us into this storm. And more than that, I resent that when I asked you to make it stop, you didn't. I resent that when I asked you for wisdom, I could see you off in the distance and you were walking. You were walking. I don't care if you were walking on water. I needed you to run. I needed you to get closer so I could see you. I needed you to speak up because all I could hear was division and bickering and death and anxiety and loss. And I resent. You sent me into that storm by myself. I still resent it. I'm not preaching. I'm being honest. I resent it. And then I wrote this. Jesus came to the boat and he said, why didn't you have more faith? I said, how dare you ask us that? We're exactly where you told us to be. How dare you say that we didn't have faith? We obeyed you. How dare you say that we don't have faith? We left everything to follow you. And then I wrote this. He said to me, everybody has the experience they choose in a storm. You see, you don't get to pick a storm. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But you do get to pick how you respond in the storm. And in this story, there was a handful of responses. Some of us, we do the first one. We just huddle up in the boat, man. It's scary. I'm not getting out. I'm not moving. I'm huddling up. I'm turtling up. I'm isolating. I'm not coming to church. I'm not going to a small group. I'm not going to read my Bible. If God sent me in this storm, then forget him, man. I'm not, I don't want anything to do with it. You can have that experience in the storm. God lets you. Some of us, we say, <laughs> okay. We take a couple steps. We experience the miraculous. God's over there, but he's right here. And that storm gets big. Waves get scary. 
I lose sight of God. And then you have that third experience. It's called sinking. So you can be in the boat. You can take a, t- a couple steps on the water. You can get afraid and you can sink. You can despair. And you can lose your faith. And there's a fourth experience. It's the reason that Jesus says it. You could have been out on the waves with me. You could have been walking around. You could have been having a miraculous moment. You chose what you chose, and it's okay. I love you. I just want you to know you had the option to choose something different. And I wrote this. It turns out that the same God who feeds the 5,000 can keep me afloat. This book is alive. This book, when you read it, it reads you. This book, when you think it's one-dimensional, it turns out <laughs> it's multi-dimensional. My prayer is that you'll love it. My prayer is that you'll want to hear it. My prayer is that you'll read it. My prayer is that you'll study it. My prayer is that you'll memorize it. My prayer is that you meditate on it. And as you do, you find the God who created the universe and gave his life for you. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. And I've read this book, and I know what he thinks about you. But I want you to know for you. Let's pray. God, we love you. And God, I thank you just for how powerful this book is. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. And I thank you for prayer. The three things that are really necessary for us to have an actual devotion time. This book, your spirit, and prayer. And Lord, my, my heart for this church, my heart for my life, for my wife, for my kids, is that you would grow our heart for this book. And in so doing, that you would grow the depth of our knowledge of and enjoyment of you, and out of that, we would find friendship and calling and purpose, but more than anything, that we would find you, the author and the finisher of our faith, our Father who loves us. In that, we would find more than enough. We thank you, and we love you, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen and amen.